What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and I am reporting to you live from a hostel bunk bed. We will get into that shortly because I'm going to do a whole episode on my transition into a more backpacker lifestyle. I wouldn't have really called myself a backpacker a few weeks ago, but now I am definitely in the throes of it. So I want to talk about that as well as the coronavirus and how that obviously has been changing not only my plans, but the city that I'm in, the town that I'm in, the plans that I had in the future, my friend groups. We'll get into all that. But before we get into that, I wanted to offer my podcast services and coaching to anyone that's in the market looking to launch a podcast. So I actually got my uh, master's in digital media and storytelling back in Loyola, Chicago, and I did my undergrad in communication and media studies. So I've always been interested in telling stories. I am naturally a storyteller. I have been known to be pretty animated when I tell stories. It's actually pretty hard for me to record a podcast sometimes because I want to just flick my hands everywhere instead of holding the microphone. So probably need to invest in a high quality headset so I can just fling my hands around. But I love storytelling. I'm really passionate about it. And that's why I really want to help other podcasters in the game or wanting to get in the game as well. There are so many things to think about outside of just recording. Your show notes, your title, you're going to have on, how you're interviewing and how you're prepping. What questions are you going to ask? How are you going to promote that? How are you going to secure guests? Do you need a website? Do you need a media kit? Do you need one to at all? Do you need a niche down? Do you need to keep it more general? Like these are all things that I've had to figure out on my own. And now that I have figured it out, I want to help you guys out. If you are interested, you can DM me at nonexpertopinionpod or write into hello at in my nonexpertopinionpod. So again, those two are at nonexpertopinionpod. That's my Instagram or my email hello at in my nonexpertopinion.com. So this can be anything from brainstorming to full-blown, you already have a show, you just need help with editing every week because you can't keep up. I have so many different options. I even have branding services like logo, website design. So if you are in the market for really amping up that marketing side and branding side of your podcast, I can help with that as well. Again, one more time, that's non-expert opinion pod or write into hello at in my non-expert opinion pod. Happy to help with coaching services, whatever you need. Outside of that, I wanted to make sure that you guys, if you find value, are rating, reviewing, and subscribing. So what's interesting about iTunes and a lot of these different podcasts is you guys know this from looking at my podcast. If you're listening to it right now, you have no idea how many people downloaded it, right? If you are on iTunes right now and you just clicked in my non-expert opinion, there's nowhere that shows that. If you go to Spotify, there's nowhere that shows that. So it's funny that advertisers care about that, but what's different about that is that there's no way to look at it for a public viewer, right? Like I only know because I have my backend analytics. So how do people find out about the podcast and if they want to listen to it? With reviews. That was a quiz. So hopefully you got that right. Just like with Amazon, just like with Yelp, Sephora, anything that you're going to invest in, especially if it's an hour of your time, you want to make sure that it's of value, right? You don't just throw on anything. You usually look at the reviews, you check it out, you ask other people, and that is how people find my podcast. If they scroll down and they see not only good reviews, but what you found valuable. So again, if it's just five stars and cool podcasts, thank you. But I would like to know what you're finding value in. So actually, I can take that into account and do more of that. 
if you're liking the solo podcast, if you want more on dating, if you want more on traveling, if you want really, really specifics on traveling and and living abroad, I can get into all that. Or I can keep doing way more interviews and try to book really, really high end guests. Like I can really take the podcast anyway. But it's what resonates with you guys and what feels good for me. And right now, all that stuff feels good for me. So the way I find out about it is your reviews and sharing and Instagram stories. All those things help out. I've done this for over two years, completely free. I've invested a lot of time and energy and money into this podcast. So you can just consider sharing it on your Instagram story or telling a friend or leaving a review as a form of payment. Again, I cannot... I cannot express this enough how much work goes into a podcast and I actually outsource a lot of it so I can't even give enough credit to those that do do it all themselves I just read somewhere in a podcast group this girl spends 10 to 30 hours per episode researching because her show is so specific to a niche audience 10 to 30 hours that's a part-time if not full-time job so when you are listening to podcasts just think about that it's not as just recording and having fun for an hour that's actually the best part the whole back end of it is the part that we really don't like to do i mean i'm speaking for myself i don't like to do it um but yeah i just wanted to give that perspective so you understand why ratings and reviews are so important it is the one public thing that people see and obviously we're all on instagram all day every day so sharing it on instagram or your social media if you enjoyed it what you learned what you laughed at that is so helpful for podcasters not only just myself but any podcast i would recommend doing that So thank you so much if you've already done it. If not, would love for you to do that and greatly appreciate it. And now I will get into the hostile life, backpacker life that I am living. Let's start from the beginning and why I'm here. Everyone knows at this point, if you've listened to my podcast, that I live in Australia. If not, I moved to Australia seven months ago. Part of the visa I'm on is a working holiday visa which means I can only have one year here. I can work and travel around Australia. A lot of people that do this have hospitality and tourism jobs because they're the easiest to get. They hire the backpackers the most, and it's just a quick way to make money because if you think about it, corporate jobs don't really like hiring backpackers because they ask for your visa, and they know if you're here for a year that they don't want to train you. Um, Not only that, but there's a specific clause in working holiday visas that you can only work for an employer for six months. So anyone with a corporate job knows how annoying it is to train someone. And imagine knowing, no matter what, because the government says so, they have to leave after six months. Like, you can't control that. There is a way you could get it approved, but it's very special circumstances. And most people do not want to stay at the same job the whole year in Australia. Most people are coming here to travel. So they want to go to Sydney, Melbourne, up north, west coast, Perth, down south. Like, there's so much stuff to do here. So no one really wants to be at a job for a year. So because of that, everyone does hospitality and tourism jobs. Now to get a second year visa, this is specifically for my visa. So I'm on a working holiday 462 visa. There are other working holiday visas and there are other work visas. There are partner visas. There are tourist visas. There's a lot of different ways to come to Australia, but the most common for Americans is the 462 working holiday visa. So I've been here for seven months to get that second one. You have to do 88 days of work in a rural area, which is north of the Tropic of Capricorn. Who knows what that is? No idea. That is just what I know is that it's a line across the whole entire country that you have to be above of, above it to get that second year visa. 
And the reason being, there are so many remote towns that need assistance. And obviously when backpackers come here, they either want to go to the most big or popular cities, but they don't want to settle down in, you know, a remote ghost town. So they have a lot of issues with employment. So they want help. Same thing with farms. There's so much that Australia produces and exports and imports and all that stuff that they need help. So a lot of people go do farm work. I've talked about this on a podcast before, but, you know, coming from America, a corporate job, making six figures, living in a flat in Chicago, even hearing the word farm work, it's so back of like back burner for me. I would never do it. No, that's gross, blah, blah, blah. When you get here, everyone does their farm work to get their second year visa if they don't have a 462 visa. However, I will say a lot of Americans, I would say guys go do the farm work because for them it's so it's physical labor. So if they had a physical labor job before like something like construction or roofing or anything handy, farm work for them is a pretty easy way to get their second year visa cuz they're usually like picking fruits or packing something or doing labor on the farm. So for them, it's again, kind of a no brainer. They're already using their body and their jobs. So surprisingly, Americans that can do hospitality and tourism end up doing a lot of farm work anyways. And again, we don't have to, that's specific to the visa I'm on. I don't really want to go to the farm because it is such hard labor and I'm not even like a super princess or anything. Like I think I could get through it. It's just the, the hours, and the lifestyle, you wake up at four in the morning, if not three in the morning, I'm pretty sure you work anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. You're in the hot sun doing straight up farm work, like picking fruits or packing them or whatever the case is, but more so is the lifestyle. Uh, so many people do their farm work again. I know it's really surprising for Americans to hear this, but I know working holiday visa people are probably like shaking, nodding their head like, yep, I know what you mean. So many people do their farmer. They all live in hostels together and it's just wild. They just entertain themselves obviously by hooking up with everyone, drinking, going out and partying 24 seven because the rest of their days are just on a farm. So that was actually the big deterrent for me was I really do not want to live that lifestyle. If I was 23 here with all my best friends, yeah, that would be fucking awesome. Can you imagine? Like, we all live in a hostel together, all my guy friends, all my girlfriends, we all get to laugh and joke all day on a farm, like, laugh at how ridiculous our lives are, then go out together and have a costume party. Yeah, that would be fun when I was younger. I went to Florida State, I was in a sorority, I did that whole lifestyle. I have been to costume parties, I've been around the block with dating, I don't want to just be in that again, you know? There's, there's something that... There's an age you hit where you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun anymore. And that happened definitely this year, especially early on in Sydney when I was going out 24-7 in Bondi Beach. There just becomes a point where you're like, yeah, I don't want to get blackout. I don't want to be hungover. I don't want to see the guy that I hooked up with last night hooking up with six other girls in my hostel every week. And that's definitely the lifestyle of farm work. So... That's again, if it's what you want to do, then that's perfect. Again, to some people, they're like, what are you talking about? That sounds like a dream. Just party and then do laborious work and not have to sit at a desk. Yeah, to some people it is. And that's why they do it. For me being 29, it's just a lot different now where I don't want to get myself involved in that lifestyle. And I know I can do hospitality and tourism. So that is what I'm doing. I came up to Cairns. I always say Cairns, and if you're in Australia, they will make fun of you because you're not supposed to say the R because they don't really say R's in their accent. So when they say it, they say like Cairns, 
and it sounds like the French uh, town, like Cannes, I can't get myself to say it. I think it's so weird when I'm almost being forced to have an accent, but at the same time, it's like if they came to Melbourne, Florida, which is a town, it's where I'm from, you would want them to say Melbourne, not Melbourne. But here, they're like, no, it's, it's Cairns. Like, I actually say Cairns, and they're like, I don't know, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, the town Cairns, that is spelled C-A-I-R-N-S, and everyone's like, mm, oh, Cairns, Cairns, yeah, that's it. I'm like, yeah, that is where I'm living right now. The reason being, it is really, really close to the Great Barrier Reef. It has all these amazing waterfalls around. It's really popular for backpackers. There's a lot of hospitality and tourism jobs, and it is one of the zip codes that count. It's also by Cape Tribulation, Fitzroy Island, the Daintree Rainforest, Fraser Island. It's around all these things that once you get to Australia, you start hearing of these places and they become really popular to travel to. Like once you do the cities and Bondi Beach and Melbourne and Byron Bay and all that stuff, you start hearing about the second part, which is up the East Coast. And it's a really, really popular trip. A lot of people end up doing this trip and I'm, I'm surprised I didn't do it this way, especially seeing so many people that did it. But now I know I'm going to actually do it the way down. I'm going to go back down the East Coast when I'm done with my work. But yeah, you just take it all the way up. You go Byron Bay, Noosa, Fraser Island, Magnetic Island, Port Douglas, the Whit Sundays, the Daintree Rainforest, Cape Tribulation. And these are all gorgeous. Like take a moment to pause and Google these. And it's literally what you think Australia would look like, like tropical, gorgeous beaches, white sand, sailing, diving, snorkeling, surfing, everything. It's like true Australia um, traveling. Um, I think for me, again, I just didn't realize that it was such a big trip, but it's also a lot of money. I mean, I just said, what, eight towns? It's not cheap to travel to eight towns and do all this stuff. Like when you go snorkeling at the Great Barrier Reef or jump bungee jumping or snorkeling or anything like that, those are all pretty expensive. So I have found a lot of people just work, 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 save, save a ton of money and then do this East Coast trip which is why that's what I'm going to do when I save all my money. I'm just going to do it the opposite way. So instead of going up the East Coast, I'll go down the East Coast. But yeah, that is why I'm currently in Cairns is to get my second year visa to do hospitality or tourism. When I came here, I was a little naive in job hunting. First off, I will start by saying the coronavirus was not even a thing. I was here two and a half weeks ago. There was like barely mention of it not even in the states like this just it was not a thing it was like kind of in the news not really it definitely just was not making its rounds up here so when i got up here i came with uh, i want to say maybe like a thousand dollars because i was like that is more than enough to get me by i'll live at a cheap hostel until i find a job i'll get a job within a week and then i'll start working Woo! i was wrong guys I now understand the importance of emergency credit cards, emergency savings. I get why people travel the way they do. And honestly, like as shitty as this may sound, like my setup right now, you know, once I really get into it, it has taught me so much about why people travel in certain ways or live certain lifestyles or do things certain ways in order to live a different lifestyle. For example, 
I used to think backpacking, like true, true backpacking, where you're like living in hostels, just bumping around, jumping around, working for accommodation. I was like, I would never do that. Like I'll stay at a hostel for three days max, call it a day, and then move on to the next hostel. I would never stay at a hostel for more. I think the longest I've stayed was like maybe four nights. And I'm I'm trying to think of, I think that's even pushing it. The longest I think I've ever stayed is probably three nights at a place. And so thinking of living in one, it was just like, mm, yeah, not for me. I don't have that mentality. I can't just live in bunk beds for, you know, months on end. I don't, there's not enough storage for me. Like, where am I going to put everything? And this trip has completely changed my view. Full 180. Like, I am currently living in a hostel. I could definitely do this for a few more months because I get why people save so much money. So when you hear about these people taking these six-month trips or even that East Coast trip that I talked about, it takes two weeks to do usually, if not three, if you really want to, like, you know, drag it out. And I'm like, how are all these 21-year-olds just going on these two-week trips? Like, what jobs did they have? Well, rewind for a second. Australia's minimum wage is really high. Like, I was working at a gelato place making $27 an hour. So if I worked literally two shifts, I would make $250, $300. So imagine, that's, again, two two shifts. Imagine if I worked five shifts. All right, so now we're already over $500. Now imagine if I worked full-time. That's like $1,000 a week, $4,000 a month. And let's say I was living the true backpacker lifestyle while I was sharing a, a house with, you know, five other people paying $200 a week in rent. That's really easy to save like $1,000 a month, if not more. If you're also really frugal about how you eat and sharing food and not going out all the time, it can be pretty easy to save. And I find that these backpackers are, have a lot of discipline. Like a lot of them will just say straight up, no, I'm saving for a trip. I'm not going to go out for the next month. And they will stick to it, which is surprising because for me, I'm like, oh, I'm a backpacker. I'm already here. Yeah, let's go out. When are we going to be able to do this again? Yeah, let's hit that beach. Oh my God, of course, let's do that trip. And I'm pretty impulsive like that. Here I find if people are like, no, I want to go on the East Coast trip, they'll literally just stop spending. They're like, nope, not going out to eat. East Coast is coming up. Nope, I'm going to the Great Barrier Reef. I have to save all week. And so they just do that. They work, 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 and then they splurge. So it's definitely like work hard, play hard, and play really hard. Like <laughs> booking $100, $200, $300 tours, staying at all these places for two weeks, eating out, drinking 24-7. Like, you know, going out is not cheap. Of course, there's deals, but it's still not free. So now I'm learning, okay, now I get how these people are doing these two week, three weeks, maybe even six month vacations is they just straight up work. So Cairns, again, I was under the impression that it would be so easy for me to find a job because I found a job in Sydney in a day. Literally the first day I went out job hunting, I just printed out a ton of resumes, walked down every single street and bar in Bondi Beach and, and a block and handed out my resume, like blasted it off like it was confetti. And finally, someone was like, yeah, actually, we are hiring and you seem like a good fit. Do you want to come in for a quick trial and training? And I did. And it worked out. That was my first day. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's so easy to find jobs. Like, I just need to go to Cairns, give myself a week in a hostel, which again was already more than I was planning to because I had never done that. Find a really cheap hostel, like 10 bucks a night and call it a day. Well, I get up here and I find out not only is it off season, it has been really slow because of the bushfires. 
So tourism's down, hospitality's down, you know, things just aren't as busy. And as I'm walking around giving resumes out, the town is just dead. Like places are actually closed for the off season. And I didn't realize that. Not only are they closed, some of them even let people go. Some things just close early. Like there's a coffee shop that closes at one. Usually they close at four or four thirty. And as I start walking around, I just start realizing, yeah, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. And okay, I just need to think about my money now. Because when I got here, I was like about to book a Great Barrier Reef tour for $250. I wanted to go skydiving for $200. I wanted to do another tour for $100. I was just like ready to tour, tour, tour because I thought I would find a job in two seconds. I, again, found out that was not the case. So then I start thinking, well, I'm not going to rent an apartment because you have to put a deposit down and then you also have to pay rent, which is easily, you know, 400, 500, 600, if not more dollars. And that just wasn't in the cards for how bad the job hunt was going. As I start walking around, everyone's telling me the same thing. Oh, this is our slowest season yet. The bushfires, it's just a nightmare to try and find work. You're going to have a really hard time. I don't think anyone in this city is hiring. By the way, when I say city, I, I meant town. This is a very small town. I would compare it to anyone that's listening that's been to my hometown, Satellite Beach. It's a lot like that, but with backpackers everywhere and like tropical vibes around. So you can take a bus and be at like a waterfall or take a... Uh, tour bus and now you're on a you know the Great Barrier Reef so that's the difference but it's very small it just has your essentials you know like a bookstore a grocery store a few restaurants like it's not crazy there's definitely some fun bars that they've built all that to accommodate all the backpackers so it's definitely backpack city backpacker city but it is a small town so when I say Cairns I don't want to I don't want you guys to think I'm in like Sydney or Melbourne I'm literally in a remote location in the rainforest area just built like a town like a very very small town so yeah everywhere is like nope not hiring not sure how you're gonna get a job blah 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 and I'm you know now journaling and thinking oh I can't wait and I'm gonna have my dream job I'm gonna envision the best life for me here and not only that I was I was realizing like okay maybe this mindset stuff is working because I got so lucky with my accommodation. So going back to, you know, me realizing I couldn't do a rent an apartment, I had to figure out where I was going to live. The hostel was like, you can do work for accommodation for 12 hours a week. You can stay here for free. So you don't have to pay rent and you don't have to pay for a hostel room. You just have to work for 12 hours a week. Normally, when I've heard of this setup, it is cleaning toilets, cleaning dishes, cleaning the common areas. Like, it's usually cleaning or doing reception. Obviously, I wanted to do reception, don't really want to clean toilets, but I was like, okay, you know, if that's what I have to do, like clean dishes or, or be reception, I'll do it. Well, they see my resume and they're like, oh my gosh, you have so much experience with social media why don't you just do our social media? And I was like, hell yeah, I can do that for accommodation. And they're like, yeah, we have events all the time. We need help with, you know, getting stories up and making events on Facebook and just getting people around the hostel. I was like, yeah, that's like easy. And I don't have to clean. I don't have to do reception. I don't have to do anything I don't really want to do. And I can just do what I was doing back in Sydney. Yeah, sign me up. So then I'm thinking, oh, but I'm probably going to live in a room with, you know, 16 people. But 
at this point, this is where that whole phrase, like, beggars can't be choosers comes in. But then there is also a side of, like, thinking positive. Like, I just kept thinking, something will work out, it always does. Something will work out, it always does. Like, I had to keep repeating to them that to myself. My mom even had to tell me, she's like, Chelsea, when have you ever ended up in a situation where you don't make friends or you can't find a place to stay or something doesn't work out? Like, that's never happened for you. And I'm like, you're right. I've never ended up, you know, homeless on the streets. Thank God. I've never had... Uh, I never had a friend saying, no, you can't stay on my couch for a few weeks. Like, it's always worked out. Of course, those aren't my most proud moments. I'm not like, hell yeah, I get to stay on my friend's couch for two weeks. Like, no, I don't want to do that. But the point is that I have the option to do that. So then I just kept thinking, okay, what are what are my options here? I either work at this hostel for accommodation, pay rent for an apartment that I am not making an income that I can't even make rent, or stay at an expensive Airbnb, like the only option really is to stay at this hostel. So again, I take a look at the room and I'm like, oh, wow, there's only four people in the room. There's two bunk beds and there's a private bathroom. Before, when I was staying here for the few days when I was job hunting, there were probably eight stalls and like four showers, like a huge bathroom that I was just showering in every day. So to go from that to my private bathroom in my, you know, hostel room that I only shared with four other girls, or excuse me, three other girls, found out it ended up being only two other girls. I was like, okay, here are the positive things. Here's where you start having to practice gratitude. Gratitude will make or break you. Gratitude is the only thing I swear that has kept me going through this journey because if I came in here with the attitude that I had when I was 24, 25, really had a big ego around money and titles and judgmentalness and superiority complexes and, you know, running around touting my master's degree as a way of, you know, status, that would not serve me well at all here. And gratitude is the one thing that has shifted everything for me because when I got here I will be straight up honest with you guys when I found out how hard it was going to be to get a job and you know live in a hostel I wasn't happy I was like this sucks like I just went from my own bedroom in Bondi which is very hard to find in a queen bed with a roommate that I got along with with a balcony 10 minute walk from the beach nice open uh common area my own shower my roommate was barely home it was like living alone to go from that to living in a hostel, which when I pulled up my Uber said, ooh, summer house, party, party, party. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to live in this like party hostel. I just told you guys, I'm trying to get away from that lifestyle. I immediately felt myself spiraling. That is the most important thing about me now is journaling and practicing gratitude as I can tell when that happens. So I could tell, I'm like, oh, we're teetering on the edge here. Like I can, it's like looking over a cliff, like, ah, I can see what's about to happen. I either am going to go down this spiral and wake up every morning and be like, wow, fuck this. I have to live with other people. I'm in this party hostel with shitty food and, you know, this gross shower and blah, 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 blah. I was on the verge of that. Like I had that whole moment for for at least a day and I had to call my parents and kind of talk it out because I was like, okay, the option I have right now is to work for accommodation. 
I had to pay a $100 security deposit and stay for four weeks in order to get that deposit back. And I told my parents, I was like, 100% not staying for four weeks. I will stay here for seven days until I find a job and just call that $100 rent. You know what I mean? Let's just say I paid $100 a week in rent because I'm not going to stay here for four weeks. Well, when I started realizing how bad this experience would be if I kept going down that dark hole of thoughts, I had to really shift my perspective with gratitude. So whipped out my handy dandy journal, like Blue's Clues' handy dandy notebook, and got to work on a list. Now, I want to take another second to talk about how I like find gratitude because some of you might be thinking, well, how did you go from being like, you know, that down to that up? I literally almost have to play a game with myself where I throughout the day I'm like, "Ooh, check mark that that's something I'm grateful for." Oh, gold star, that's something that that person did that I'm grateful for. Oh, like you know it's like collecting coins all day from a video game you're like oh that's a little piece of gratitude I can put in my journal later and I pretty much like play a game with myself around that and here's just a really quick example the other day I got dumplings made them was so excited to eat them and I was like oh my god I don't have soy sauce the market here is like 30 minutes away on walking or you have to wait for a shuttle which only comes every hour so I was like well I'm not just waiting for a shuttle to come to get soy sauce And then I walk in my room and there's a huge bottle of soy sauce on top of my fridge. That's my roommates. And they're like, yeah, you can use it. I'm like, wow, I'm like so grateful that that worked out. So that's what I mean. And to me, five years ago, I would have been like, cool, wow, you found soy sauce. That was something that I had to be like grateful for, that I didn't have to waste my dumplings. I was so excited to eat them. And lo and behold, there's soy sauce on the fridge. That's a little gold coin that I can collect for my gratitude journal. So that is how I start finding gratitude when I am really down is playing that little game. So when I got to working on my, you know, gratitude journal coming out of the black hole of thoughts, it instantly became quite easy. I was like, well, First of all, you have a staff room now. The staff rooms are totally separate from the like client rooms. You only have two other girls in your room. Usually there's three, but apparently we have like a special room where they only want three of us in here. So there's only two other people I have to live with. One girl is talking to a guy, so she's always at her like boyfriend's house. My other roommate is the head of housekeeping, so she's pretty responsible and she's head of housekeeping she likes to keep things organized and she has to run a team so she's like very responsible we have our own bathroom and shower which is again we don't share with anybody and because there's not an extra person in the room we get to use that locker for all our storage so all the shit that i came with which was way too much stuff we got to put in that locker so i was like well wow that's instantly already five, six, seven things that I'm grateful for. And then once you start going, your mind almost becomes this like, what's that animal? I think like a Venus flytrap of memories. It's like, oh, that was another memory. Oh, that's another memory. Oh, yep, that was good today. And it literally, you then you just start going and going. Oh, wow. I'm grateful that there's a power outlet that I can plug my laptop in to watch movies. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that we have this secluded area where we're not connected to the client rooms. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that I packed that one thing that I thought I didn't pack. Oh wow, we have access to the laundry that's free for staff members. Staff members get hooked up here. We get 20% off food, 20% off drinks, free laundry, free shuttle, free bike hire. So again, like you probably are hearing my mood shift too. Like even talking about it out loud, that's how easy it is when you start making a gratitude list. 
just think of it as like a video game and collecting those little gold coins because I swear it will change your mind. So instantly my mind was changed. Also, the place is actually cool. Like there's a nice pool, there's hammocks, they have free yoga, free fitness classes, this whole grassy area. So I could, even if I wanted to go bring my mat out there and do a workout myself, they have every drink, every liquor in the book. So if I want to have a nice drink, I can go to the bar. I get 20% off. They have a pool table, karaoke, beer pong tournaments. Like they keep the events going here. So there's no lack of boredom. They also have a TV room with Netflix and Disney Plus. Like that's the thing. Once Once you start looking for good things to find, your mind will justify those good things to find. Same thing with the bad though, right? If I was like, this hostel sucks, I cannot believe I live in a bunk bed and I'm 29 and have a master's degree. I can't believe I have to share a bathroom with two other girls that I don't know. I can't believe I have to cook in this hostel kitchen with other people. This is disgusting. There's no room for anything. I don't have privacy. Like, see, it's really, really easy to go that way too. So you have to be able to recognize your thoughts and say, I don't want to go that way because what? it's not like going that way all of a sudden makes it magical and changes right i've never been in a really bad mood and talk shit all day and then been happy at the end of the day it's the opposite i have to actively and intentionally switch my mindset to go the other way and then i go to bed like oh wow i feel that much better so that is the update on like the hostel situation is i ended up living in this bunk bed which i'm reporting to you live from love saying that (laughs) and i am working for accommodation here doing their social media So I live with a girl that is head of housekeeping. She's American. She's 28. Super cool. The other girl's American as well. She's younger. She has a boyfriend. She's always at his house. So it's basically like me and the other girl. We get along so well. She's very much into all the things I'm into. We have great conversations. And this goes back to that mantra I was talking about is something works out. It always will. So again, I could have flipped that of, oh, I don't know these girls. They don't relate to me. And my mind would have figured out a way to find all these things that we don't relate on. And then I find out we're all yoga teachers. They both teach the yoga at the hostel. Now they have me teaching here and I'm going to make extra money, which I didn't even think I could make money here. I'll make extra money this week. So I'm like, huh? So it's just, again, I think... I want to just like take a break to talk about that because it's not even a break. It's like an integral part of the story because that is what's changing my experience. And that has been the crux of my experience. This whole trip is my thoughts and my mindset around living here. So once the hostel situation got sorted out, I was like, well, you know, at least you have accommodation. You're not paying rent. That's obviously saving me a huge chunk of money. Let me just get back to the grind. So I printed out like 50 resumes. Same thing I did in Bondi. Walked around, blasting my resume all over. And it's just not getting better. And at this point, again, I'm still kind of in the mindset of, oh, something's going to work out. So I'm spending money. I booked a tour. I am going out. I'm spending money on drinks. I'm eating out. I'm getting sushi. I'm getting gelato. Not a good idea. Well, coronavirus becomes the hot topic of conversation. And I want to jump into this too because this, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this properly. The coronavirus and the news about it and the hysteria and the fear and and panic and whatever you want to call it definitely depends on where you're living. So people would think, oh, I'm American. I must just know everything about the coronavirus and be concerned and be, you know, wanting to freak out and come home. I want to reiterate that I am in a rainforest town 
that is a very small town. My hostel is 30 minutes away from the actual town, so it's not like we're like in the throes of everything. When you work at a hostel or you're at a hostel, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been to a hostel that's playing like CNN or Fox News or ABC News on repeat. They're usually playing movies or watching a show together or doing karaoke. Like never have I seen news cycles on repeat. And then when people are traveling, they're in the same boat of working and living in hostels where they're not really seeing the news. So when we're up here, yeah, we kept I kept hearing about coronavirus like Everyone was saying when I was applying, like, hey, I just want to let you know things are slowing down. There's more news of the coronavirus. But it sounded not that serious. And I'm not saying that in an ignorant way. It's just nothing was happening. Like, the grocery stores were fine. Toilet paper was there. Paper towels were there. Canned goods were there. People were booking trips. There were tons of people checking in and out of the hostel each day. People riding around, going to the beach. It was like business as usual. So it's not like anyone specific was being ignorant. I think two things. I think Australia was a little behind in the protocol that they're taking of like self-quarantine and isolation and things like that. But two, when you're in an environment where there's virtually no news about it and no one's really talking about it, it's just like a quick line in conversation yeah, it is hard to take it seriously because no one's doing anything. Like when I went to the grocery store and people are casually, leisurely shopping, everyone's smiling, talking about how they're going to the Great Barrier Reef. Of course, then for me, I don't have any concern because from what I've heard, it's it's just a virus, right? That's all we kept hearing. Oh, it's a virus. It'll fade. It's like a cold, blah, blah, blah. So I would say up until literally two or three days ago, this was the vibe like business as normal things are running as normal blah 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 then new south wales went into a state of emergency by the way i'm not in new south wales anymore i'm in queensland which is a whole different state so to give you guys some like background there's different states in australia and i am not in new south wales where sydney was i'm now up north in queensland which again is like a all rainforest vibes in Cairns, which is a town in Queensland. So it's very remote, isolated, away from everything, different vibe, different, it's like very island time type of people. And the um, New South Wales went into a state of emergency. Then Victoria, which is another state, that's where Melbourne is, went into a state of emergency. Then it starts making its way up here and we're like, you know, we hear about it more and more and I'm hearing about it and now I'm getting texts from family and friends and then my friend in Denmark is saying that her whole country is in shutdown, they can't leave the house, they're in day five of quarantine. Our friend that lives in New York City tells me how it's a ghost town. My other friend was supposed to move to England and her his flight got canceled and they can't come and then you start, you know, really thinking about it like, huh. If everyone in Europe is, you know, freaking out and going into lockdowns, if people in the U.S. are freaking out, if, you know, New South Wales and Victoria, which are just south of me, are in states of emergencies, maybe we should pay more attention to this. And again, I don't want to sound ignorant. It's just like the environment that you're in. If, if you guys were in a town where no one was talking about it, it's not on the news, you're literally just sitting by a pool all day reading or listening to music on headphones or playing ping pong listening to a bunch of other travelers talk about the same thing you're not really going to hear about it so what I found out was that night I think someone 
I think my friend in Denmark had just been explaining how serious it was there. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to start looking at how bad it is specifically in Australia because we are right by Asia, which is, you know, where it all began. So I was like, "Mm, maybe I should look into this. So I start reading more and more and I'm reading about the states of emergency. I'm seeing what people are doing. I'm like, I I think this is going to be like a lot more serious than we think up here because it's just spreading so fast. And then literally, I'm not kidding. It was like in one day, the vibe of the hostel and Cairns totally changed. I came back from a waterfall tour that once again, fully booked two buses full of people. I think there were 80 people on the tour. So yeah, it's hard to think of a virus when the whole tour is booked. No one's saying anything. No one's talking about it. There's no precautions. There's no updates. There's no statements. You're just going about business as usual, having a fun day. I was like, okay, you know, coming back from my waterfall tour, start reading about it a bit more. And I was talking to my roommate and I was like, don't you think it's weird how up like up here, we haven't really heard about the coronavirus, but then Denmark is in lockdown. New York City, the most populous city in like the world is a ghost town. And we're up here in the rainforest and not really like taking precautions. And then some people were making good points of like, well, yeah, it's so remote and we're away from the city and there's not that many people that I think that's why no one's freaking out yet. We're not in that, you know, state of hysteria of panic buying and frantically running around like that wasn't happening. But it was literally that night as we were having this conversation, it was like something in the air just changed. Like she was like, yeah, it actually I was talking about my friend today and my mom and blah, blah, blah. And we found out well, this is like this is going to have such a massive effect on the economy and all these small businesses. And then it starts hitting me of like, yeah, all those places that I just applied are not going to be in business. Like the little gelato shop on the Marina that has two employees, which is, which is already slow because it's off season. Again, remember it's rainy and people are not traveling because of the bushfires. Now there's coronavirus. Yeah. They're not like dying to hire people and a little mom and pop, you know, spot down the street isn't really in a place to be serving tons of backpackers because everyone's traveling home to close the borders. So then we start reading more, we start hearing more, and it starts directly affecting our hostel. So then people that are here on different visas have to fly home. Their borders are closing, their visas are expiring before the borders are closing, or the borders are closing tomorrow and their visa doesn't end for a month. So what do they do? So all these questions start popping up. We actually have a girl here that has to fly out tomorrow and she wasn't slated to, but her visa is expiring soon and the border is uh, her country is closing the border. So she has to get home. Then we start getting cancellations at the hostel. I think our maximum capacity is like 350 and it went down to like 75. People at the hostel that are doing working for accommodation setups are now asking for full-time hours because they need to be doing something to keep themselves busy because they got let go. Then a guy that I work with in the hostel just got hired last week at a travel agency actually for a job that I applied to and got interviewed for and got let go the next week. He literally was in a week long of training and then got let go because they're like, our sales just dropped 200% and we have to let go of even some of our longest staff because it no one's booking tours. So then it's like this one massive hit just comes and then you start realizing, yeah, this is going to affect my life here. Now, weirdly enough, before this like weird shift of energy happened, I was getting desperate because I was really thinking about the money I had. 
yes, I'm not paying rent, but I had just been spending. Like, I booked that tour. I was getting food. I was supposed to stay here for two more weeks and go on a few more tours with my friend. And I'm like, I don't really know how I'm going to last two or three more weeks with no money and no job. I mean, I had a little bit of money, but again, not to be doing all the things I wanted to do. And it started dawning on me of like, okay, well, I need to like explore other options. Like maybe I don't need to stay here. Maybe I just go back to Sydney and work. Maybe I go home. Maybe I go to New Zealand. Like I just start thinking of all these different options. And I texted my friends that have done the working holiday visa before and gotten their second year visa and asked them, what have you done for work? And my friend was like, I highly do not recommend the place I worked. Like, it was so shitty. They paid you below minimum wage. They overworked you. It's so remote. You can't even, there's not even like a cell tower for service. I was like, yeah, like, I can sit here all day and say I could do that, but I couldn't. (laughs) I'm like, going to be honest, I just couldn't. And apparently her visa was investigated because that town is known for like a lot of fraudulent visa stuff. So I was like, yeah, pass. I don't even want to get in trouble. Let's explore other options and she said well actually my friend went to this recruiter in Cairns like her shop is there and she can help you out like she helped my friend found a, find a job so I was like okay cool so that day I was like all right back on the job hunt gonna print all these resumes again I think I printed like 25 just applying to every restaurant and bar and everywhere oh by the way here you have to have all these different certifications which I did not have and I do not have a lot of hospitality experience So that obviously doesn't help my case either. Of course, I can tweak my resume here and there, but it's like, if I'm not a barista and I've never made a coffee in my life, how am I going to pretend that I'm a barista and then show up to a first day at a cafe not even knowing like what the machine does? Obviously, I can't tweak that or lie about that. Or I can't say I'm a bartender and then they're like, cool, make a blah, 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 sour martini. I'm like, I don't even know what's in that. So yeah, there's certain things you can, you know, extend your years in or add this and that, but like you have to have very specific qualifications and certifications, like something called an RSA, a responsible service of alcohol. I didn't have that. So there's a lot of bars and restaurants that were not going to hire me, but we're also just not in a place to hire because of the bushfires and coronavirus. So then I'm like, you know what? Let me just go to this recruiter and see what happens. I go in, this lady is insane in the best way she is like frantically running around the shop it's all her shop it's like one of those crazy quirky shop it almost looks like a movie you go in and there's all these like souvenirs all over there's like a surfboard in the corner there's something hanging on the ceiling there's all these shirts that are signed and I come to find out it's because she's helped place so many backpackers and jobs that they always come back and give her like a little souvenir. So it's like one of those crazy shops. It's not formal. It's not, you know, run like anything corporate style. It's definitely just her running that shop like a mad woman. So I had sent her a Facebook message before and said, my friend said to send you my info. Here's my resume. What can we do? She's like, come in the shop ASAP. I could get work for you. So I go in and she already has like three options lined up. She's like, I can 100% get you a job. It's here, here, here. Here's the cost, blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. Like, that's all I heard. It was like the Shakira, like, blah, blah, blah. like that is all I was hearing. I'm like, what? whoa, whoa, whoa. I was under the impression there were no jobs around. I was going to have to just not even do the work to get my second year visa. Like in my mind, I was prepared to either go home to America, save back up and come back and do New Zealand because New Zealand actually has the same type of visa or just go straight to New Zealand and try to find work. That was my plan. 
So to hear that this lady can 100% get me a job, no questions asked, I was like, what? So then she starts showing me and she can get me a job, but they're not in Cairns. And again, I was like set on Cairns because of how close it was to all these beautiful locations. Like, of course, I would want to live an hour away from the most famous reef in the world. Of course, I want to live by the Daintree Rainforest, which is based on the movie Avatar. Like, of or the movie Avatar is based on. Of course, I want to live by waterfalls. But again, beggars can't be choosers. So... She shows me three options that are 100% hiring. I could leave, you know, this week or next weekend. And I start weighing these options. One of them is like a true blue local Aussie bar. True blue means like super Aussie. That she was like, they're very local Aussies. Like, you know, John sits down at six and this is his drink and blah, blah, blah. And it's by a river and you'd be living in, you know, it almost sounded like an RV and just the vibe when she was showing me it, I was like, this just feels off. Like, I don't know. Once again, beggars can't be choosers, but I can be a little choosy, <laughs> especially if I have three options. So then she shows me the second one and it's up north and it's another tavern, but they're asking for like 60 hours a week. And by the way, with this second year visa, you have to work full time for it to count. So you work full time here is I think 35 to 38 hours a week. So if you work overtime, they actually don't count those hours in a week. So it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you'd be making more money. But I was like, I am not trying to work 60 hours a week at a bar and grind myself to the ground for, you know, three, four months and be exhausted and like hate my life. And again, that is just me. I'm speaking about all this from my experience. There might be people listening right now being like, is Chelsea crazy? That that would be easy money. Like in the bag, she could take off six months and travel. I am so energy like drained now. Like I just can already picture myself two weeks into that job being so burnt out. And again, I don't have to do that. So why would I? That would be like if any, if every single job in Australia that she had given me was up, not up for grabs anymore, then maybe, yeah, I would consider that. But I was like, I don't have to do that. And then she shows me another one that sounds ideal. It's reception at a hotel. I can help out there. I can also work at the bar. And the girl's really cool. And they the hotel's super fun and everyone's young. But the catch is that it's all the way in Western Australia. To give you guys perspective, if anyone's living in the States... That is like me living in New York City and saying, but this job is in LA. It's like moving completely across the country, which A, is not cheap. B, I don't know anybody there. C, it's like the true outback, like true blue Aussie outback, like what you see in commercials or what you think of outback Australia. Uh, what is? What are all the other points? I was just like, mm, no not moving to Western Australia. And in my mind, again, I'm thinking it's fine. This is just like an option. I can keep her around. I'll find a job. And then I just start thinking about all the places I've applied. I'm like, Chelsea, you've been here for a week, day in and day out, applying to jobs, applying online, messaging everyone you know that has lived in here. Everyone in the hostel has connections too. They're, they're straight up telling me places that are hiring. Like go to this bar they're hiring, go to this restaurant they're hiring. Nope, just filled the spot. Nope, just hired nope just let go of people nope slow season we're closing soon so i was like okay i can stay here for yeah two to three more weeks and see what happens or i can go to western australia and have a job lined up like 100 percent. so the thing is she's a recruiter too right so she has to get paid so that's the other thing is okay well do i want to pay her 
to place me in this job or do I just want to go find jobs myself? And then I'm just thinking of how long it took me to get around to the small town of Cairns and apply to jobs. I'm like, I really do not have the time because my visa also ends in August, meaning my 88 days, which is basically three months, is not that far off. I'm only four months away from that cutoff. And you have to take into account if I get sick or there's a holiday or I go on vacation or I have an emergency and have to go home for a week or something. That doesn't count towards that 88 days of work. You have to have a place it pay slip showing you that. So then I started really thinking through, okay, well, this actually might be the option is go to Western Australia to this job that sounds more ideal. It's going to be a lot of money. It's going to, I'm going to have to pay her a chunk of money and get over there. It's again, it's like flying from New York to LA or I stay here and stick it out and see what happens, which hasn't been going well. Or I go to one of those other two options that she sent, which yeah, they were in the bag and they were still in the same state, but not really where I wanted to be. So I was like, you know what? Never been in Western Australia, never had plans to. If I have to only be there for three months, let me just do this and see what happens. So then she tells me it's a six month contract and I'm like, oh, nope, not going, blah, blah, blah. But then I started thinking of what I just told you guys earlier about the backpackers that travel. These people work so hard for like six months so that they can take off basically two or three months. That's why when I tell these stories and people are listening, like how on God's earth did people travel for two months, three months, a year, two years? It's because they do stuff like what I'm talking about. So then I'm like, Chelsea, you racked up your credit card bill from all this travel this year. You have student loans. You want to travel after this. Like I want to just take up time and go on tours and travel. So why don't you just work all that time, save a shit ton of money, and then travel? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So long story short, which that doesn't even make sense because I told the whole story. (laughs) I ended up booking this to Western Australia. But like I said, had to pay the recruiter a chunk of money. Had to buy a flight, which is basically a cross-country flight. Oh, by the way, there's not a direct flight. So you have to take a 24-hour Greyhound bus from the airport that I'm going to down to this other side. Australia is huge, okay? Australia is the size of America, basically. I think people forget that. It is so vast that I'm like, how on, like, what on, what do you mean a 24-hour bus? And then she shows me, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. There's not even a direct flight to this city that I'm going to. I'm not even calling it a city. It's like a small town. There's, there's literally no way to get there but to take the Greyhound bus. So that's what I have to do. So next week, I am flying from Cairns, where I am in Queensland, up to Western Australia to Darwin, then taking a 24-hour bus to Broome, B-R-O-O-M-E. I actually didn't know anything about Broome until the recruiter showed me, and I was like, wait, what is this place? It's gorgeous. It has pink sand, blue water. It's right next to Cable Beach, which is apparently really famous. There are sunset camel rides. There's a lot of outbacks, so there's a lot of camping, a lot of beautiful red rock, a lot of little coves. I don't know. I was thinking I was going to be like fully in the outback remote, and yes, it is, but it's still around a beach. And there's basic stuff there. My friend is over there right now. She's like, there's grocery stores, you know, there's studios, there's local practitioners. It's not like I'm living on a deserted island. So that is the good news. The weird news, though, is that the coronavirus obviously keeps changing every day. So originally I was like, all right, all booked, ready to go. Looking forward to this gorgeous little beach town. Better get my hours in, have the perfect setup. I have work lined up. 
And then every single day, something at the hostel changes. So earlier, you remember I was talking about how nothing was really happening. That whole shift in the hostel just completely changed the mood. And then there was that kind of onset panic and fear where people were like, well, wait, should we be quarantining at a hostel? I don't know if that's the word quarantining, but should we be here? Should we go home? Do we need to think about getting private rooms? Like there's all these different thoughts going around. But to me, it doesn't make sense to fly home right now because that is such a long flight that I feel that I would actually be more exposed with all the international travelers getting on flights like that coming from Australia. I don't know where anyone's been. I don't know where they're coming from. Where at least here, I've been here for two and a half weeks. I have my own bed in the hostel. I um, you know, I can't really stay inside because the hostel is so little, but I can stay around the hostel. It's like the same people, it's longer term. That's why I made that decision. And also honestly, financially, it made sense. Like I am not in a financial place to just fly home. I, my parents aren't really in a financial place to just fly me home. And to me, I would be home again, exposing my parents maybe to something when I could just stay here with a lot younger people. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm in Australia living my life, free spirit. Like I am not doing that at all. I actually think that's quite irresponsible. And trust me about two or three days ago, I was on that train of like, oh, this will blow over. I heard it's like the cold, who cares? And then the news started hitting about, you know, what the effects were, even if you're asymptomatic. And that's when I was like, yeah, I don't really want to expose my parents, my grandma, who's definitely over 70, my aunt or anything. I don't want to expose them to it if I potentially have it. And again, get on a plane that is 14 plus hours with all those germs just circulating over and over and over again. Like at least here I am in a remote area and it is a little more isolated. We're not in a big city. So I can go to a, you know, remote beach or just walk outside of my hostel, take a walk around the block, keep away from people if I need to. So that is why I'm staying. Again, the virus updates daily. Like we're getting news every single day. Like it used to be no gatherings of 500 people. Now it's 100 people. Now they're not doing shuttle buses to certain hostels. Now they can't check people in that traveled internationally 14 days ago. Now they're recommending all these different things. So I just have to keep posted on it. And if for anything, if, if for any reason anything changes, then yeah, I will go home. But again, to me, coming from an international location, going home to my older parents, my grandma and my aunt doesn't make sense. So the coronavirus is definitely affecting people. It's not easy. I'm not with family. I'm in a totally different time zone. I'm actually 14 hours ahead of my family. And when I move next weekend, I will be, I think maybe 12 hours, which actually isn't that bad. But again, it's totally opposite time zones. So you're going from day to night, then night to day. It's very hard to coordinate with people. So when I want to, you know, just FaceTime my mom, when I have some downtime in the hostel, I can't. So I really just have to keep busy. Hostel life is definitely different. It's not for everybody, and I can understand why. You really have to put your ego aside. You have to get over all those things that you thought you couldn't live without. I'm telling you, a year and a half ago, if you told me that I wouldn't have my 10 skincare products, all my clothes, all the little tools that I used for my face, all my beauty appointments, all my little things that I did, my trainer, my classes, I would be like, I can't live without that. You learn really quick what you can live without when you start backpacking. I spent $170 on extra luggage coming here because I packed so much and I left half my stuff in Bondi Beach. So that is how little I had in my mind and it was still 
170 extra dollars. So I quickly learned, okay, well, what can I live without? Well, first of all, when you're living in the tropics, you're not wearing like ball gowns. You're not going out to nightclubs. You're not going out on fancy dinner dates. Like you're probably going to the beach. You're probably going to go hiking. You're probably going to go to a waterfall. So you just need to pack that like really casual beachy stuff. No one's wearing heels. No one's wearing wedges. No one's doing a smoky eye because it's just going to melt off. So all the makeup I brought, I didn't even bring that much. And I still, I'm like, wow, every day at the maximum, I wear some eyebrow stuff, some mascara and lip gloss because it's that hot. It just melts off. Then going out, okay, well, I wear the same purse every single time I go out. Why did I bring two purses? Oh, I always wear hoops. I've worn hoops since I was like 12 years old. Why did I bring statement earrings and chokers and cuffs? Like I don't wear any of that stuff. So again, you can be honest with yourself and see what you need. It's pretty easy to figure out what you need if you just take inventory of every weekend. Like do you wear the same clothing, not same clothing, but same shoes out every time? Like we all have those little black heels or that little black dress or that one purse that we love. Think about that and be like, okay, let me just pack that versus let me bring five options for the just in case, especially again, if you're backpacking. The other thing is once you're in a hostel long-term and for me, long-term right now is like over two weeks, no one cares what you look like. I cannot express this enough. The first few days I was like, oh my gosh, every time I need to leave my room, I don't know who's going to be out here. I need to be like done up. I need to wear a cute little outfit. I need to do my hair. And after a while, it becomes like your family. It really does. Like people are walking around, no bras, barefoot, no makeup, wet hair, buns, swimming, playing volleyball, doing yoga, sweating in their workout clothes. Like it's just so freaking casual and laid back here. And even if you go out, people are wearing jean shorts, bathing suits. Like it's really freaking casual. That's just an update on like the vibe of the hostel. And then regarding cooking, I had to go on a very tight budget, especially like I said earlier, I paid a chunk of money to this recruiter. So I had to start really saying, okay, you cannot spend more than seriously like 10 to $15 a day because I don't know what's going to happen when I get to the airport, if I'm going to have to pay for extra luggage, if something happens with my flight, if I need to book a last minute hotel, like I just don't know. So I cannot be just blowing my money on coffee and food and quote unquote things I thought I couldn't live without. Like I, again, thought I couldn't live without a ham and cheese croissant and coffee. Somehow I've been doing just fine with my eggs and cereal. So you just have to get a little scrappy when you're in my situation. And again, that is because I did not have the foresight to save enough money or think about emergency savings, all learning lessons. I just think that if you are in my situation, you don't have to panic. Like I've started panicking for a second. Like, what am I going to do? I just don't have money. There's a lot of creative ways to not spend money. Like the hostel has free cereal, free shuttles, free bike hire. Okay, so I already have transportation into the city. I can ride a bike around the city. I keep calling it a city, but it's a town. Um, I can have breakfast in the morning. Eggs are like two or three dollars at the grocery store. So I can take the free shuttle to the grocery store, spend three dollars on eggs that will last me a week and cook that with the bread that the hostel gives for free. So there's breakfast, lunch. Oh, well, I'm can make a smoothie. I can go make a salad. I can get a lean cuisine. Again, you just have to think cheap. Like I'm not going to be buying all these gourmet sides and dishes and dessert and appetizers. Like, okay, what am I going to eat that will keep me full? And what does the hostel have that I could maybe have as a side and add to that? By the way, my hostel is so freaking cheap. It's called Summer House Cans. 
just said it how the Australians say it, and they have $5 meal deals every day at 6, but it's kind of like you have to think of $5 meal deals means it has to be ingredients that can feed the masses, which is usually carbs and really quick meat. So it's usually like chicken parmesan, tacos, spaghetti, things like that. So yeah, it's not the healthiest. But again, if you're in a bind, $5 for a huge dinner is obviously probably one of the cheapest options you would find. But a lot of microwavable stuff going on, a lot of pasta, a lot of ravioli, a lot of things that I know will just keep me full until I get to broom and start my job. Also, hostels, I just realized this over in Cairns, they all do these crazy like contests and tournaments. Like for a beer pong tournament the other day at the hostel, someone won a voucher from a travel agency, which basically would get them $100 off of skydiving. Then the other day we did an event and they did a raffle and someone won a trip to the Great Barrier Reef. Then I went out the other night and someone did karaoke and they won a $100 bar tab and a trip to the Great Barrier Reef too. So I'm like, there's really creative ways that these hostels, like they make sure that you are participating so that you can get these deals. So again, going back to the mindset thing, if I sat here and I was like, wow, there's no way to save money. I don't know how I'm gonna do anything. I'm just gonna have to sit in my room all day. You need to get out and see what activities are going on. My hostel does something every morning from morning to night. Like I said earlier, karaoke, trivia, ping pong, volleyball, the whole works. So yeah, I could sit in my room all day watching Netflix or I can go outside and meet people, potentially win prizes and not have to pay for things. So yeah, you just have to be a little scrappy. Obviously, this isn't ideal. It's not like I'm touting like oh my god best life ever it's just not the worst thing in the world you know what i mean i have ac i have a fridge in my room i have a freezer i have an extra locker because we don't have a fourth person we have our personal shower my room is all girls so we don't have disgusting boys in here the hostel is actually so far away from town that we're not by all the nightlife so it's very quiet so yeah hostel life is definitely different and cooking is a little odd when you first get to a hostel because you're sharing a kitchen with so many people so you're literally waiting there for a stove or waiting for someone to be done with that one dish that you need or a pan and then you're cooking and everyone's cooking all these different things but after a few days i was like this is actually really fun to see what everyone's cooking like just watching people chop things up and saute and see what their traditional dishes are there's people from all over here like there are spanish people german people french people chileans americans so we're all cooking different things and i love just watching what everyone's making because i'm like whoa what are they about to do with that piece of meat or what is that sauce like what does that smell and you're just constantly eyeing things that people are doing so it's actually kind of fun now i like doing it and i'm telling you when i checked in this hostel i was like i will absolutely not be cooking in that kitchen with that many people i don't know what gross things are in there that's too many you know literally too many cooks in the kitchen i'm gonna go ahead and just eat out every day obviously when you get in a financial bind eating out every day becomes bottom priority so yeah, you can get scrappy, you can cook, there's options, there's food, there's deals. That is like the, that's the move with backpacker life. And now that I have done this for two weeks, I don't even think I'm a professional backpacker. It's just hostel life time flies by. Like it flies by and it doesn't. Like I can't believe I've been here for two weeks, but at the same time, I'm also like, wait, it's Wednesday what day is it like how have I already been here for two weeks it also goes really slow because your days are like really really long I feel like by the afternoon it's already been one day and then people go out from like 10 on so that's like a whole other day so yeah it's just 
no concept of time here. And it's just really interesting to see people's stories too of like how long they've been here. Someone's been here for a year and they actually, I think, pay to stay in one of the regular rooms. There's other people that have been here for three months, six months, two months, one week, like it's all over the place. But it's just fun to connect and see, okay, well, why are they here? What happened? And you can really start to see that everyone does have a lot in common. Again, I will I will fully admit when I came in here and saw the hostel and hearing that it was a party hostel and that I was going to live here with all these backpackers, I was just thinking, oh, these people aren't going to be able to afford anything or we're not going to have the same interests or we don't have the same, like I'm going to be more high maintenance than them. And that's not the case. Like I made a lot of assumptions and judgments. And now that I'm here, I'm like, okay, whoa, Chelsea, you need to check yourself because you are pretty wrong on a lot of your assumptions. My roommate and I were literally talking about trauma and therapy and manifestation and mindset and in my mind I'm like oh I'm just going to talk to all these people about traveling and drinking and hookups and that's not the case like I mean I don't know why I even think that like as a traveler I'm not like that so why would I think all these people in the hostel are like that I think there's just a stigma especially coming from America when we don't have hostels really like no one's really staying in hostels that we just identify them as like backpackers that have no education or money when in reality they're like extremely hard workers extremely disciplined really good at saving and then take these amazing trips that are not cheap and have experiences and talk about it and know how to cook know how to fend for themselves know how to budget like there's a lot I, I could learn from these backpackers if anything I am learning like I don't think anyone's learning anything from me outside of like I don't even know how to podcast from your hostel bunk bed. That's about the only skill I'm offering from a backpacker's perspective right now. So yeah, hot tip if you are going to do something like this, I would have packed half of what I brought. Coming up here, I would have packed half of what I brought and just keep having it down until you basically have one suitcase or one big backpack. Trust me when I say you do not need five pairs of leggings. You don't need four pairs of flip-flops. You don't need to bring your six notebooks. You need one of each thing, and if you need to buy it, you can buy it at your location. So yeah, lots of learning lessons with hostel life, and it will be interesting to see how everything unfolds with coronavirus because, like I said, there's so many different visas here, and especially with borders closing and travel plans changing and things getting delayed and moved and started and stopped, I feel like we're just going to have to sit back and see. And what I'm doing right now is trying my best to follow all the rules, like, trying to clean everything, trying to wash my hands 24 seven, wipe down anything that I can. I'm wiping my phone down every day, wiping the doorknobs and just being cognizant of like where I'm going and who I'm around. Like if I get on the bus, sit all the way in the back away from people. And if I'm going to the beach, I'm going to a pretty secluded beach. Like I went to one today and there was literally zero people there except the lifeguard. So if I'm going to go outside, I just need to make sure I'm not going to, you know, a nightclub with 30,000 people or a bar where everyone's just stuck in a room I made that decision the other day like I'm just not going to go out here anymore because that's what the rules are I mean of course people aren't listening to them but I was just like yeah I don't even want to go out I know what it's like to be drunk I don't want to spend money and I definitely do not want to get or spread the virus on top of that I do leave on Saturday so I'm also just kind of trying to organize and get my life together go through everything and seeing what I can leave behind because truthfully, I do not need everything I packed. It's actually kind of wild that I thought I needed all this. Um, and now with the coronavirus, it's like, wow, I wish I brought less so I could just throw everything in a bag and hop out if needed. Whereas now I'd have to repack quite a bit of stuff, 
but it's not a lot. It's just a lot for being a backpacker. It's definitely hard. It's not easy. I'm not saying, oh, gratitude fixes everything. It just makes it better. It's not like I'm, you know, want to be in a bunk bed hostel away from my family during a global pandemic. But at the same time, I need to weigh all my options, my finances, my income, and what I can do. The other thing is using this time wisely. And I got here like chilling on Netflix, catching up on all my Bravo shows, insta-stalking people, like straight up lounging, doing nothing. And then I was like, wait, this is the exact time that I can use to implement all the things I've been wanting to do. Meditation, journaling more, doing movement every day, like yoga or Pilates by myself, swimming, talking to people, FaceTiming more people that I haven't been able to connect with while I've been abroad, and definitely the podcast. Like my whole podcast coaching and services, that is something that I can completely refine right now. I can make that a really tangible product. I can look at what people are doing online, see if they need help. It's not like the coronavirus took away our connection or our power outlets or electricity or anything. So why don't I use this time to see how I can help people? So that is now moving forward until I start work. What I'm going to be doing is life admin like you know taxes and checking in on things that i need to take care of but also just refining all my podcast offerings and just getting creative like i have a sketchbook i want a journal i want to write every day like what i'm doing so i can look back at this time so if you're in a bind at home and you're like this is so boring i don't want to watch netflix all day well, what's a hobby you could start? There's like a million YouTube tutorials. You could learn how to do your makeup, learn how to start a YouTube channel, write a blog post, write a poem, write a letter. Like there's so many different options. Clean, declutter, do spring cleaning so that when you're done with this whole virus, hopefully you have 18 bags of stuff that you're like, wow, I truly haven't worn this in six months. Like these are the times when we're like, oh, we have no time. I don't have time to work on that. This is the time. So be smart, stay home, work on your side hustles and passion projects, and just try to help people wherever you can, especially the elderly. Stop trying to fight over toilet paper. I mean, the stuff I've been seeing online is so insane. So, you know, we all are just doing the best we can, but let's try to also think of others outside of ourselves. The world does not revolve around us as much as we want to think so based on our Instagram posts. Like, it does not. So start using your brain and be creative. Just get creative and see what you want to do with your side project or like it doesn't need to be something that's going to make you money. Maybe it's just, oh, I've been really wanting to meditate. Let me learn how to do it now. And maybe it helps calm your anxiety with all this stuff going on. Those are my goals. I'm definitely going to try to do a lot of self-care and a lot of creative projects. All right. Well, that is my update for everything. I don't have much else to report. I will definitely guys, I will keep you guys posted as this develops. I feel like I'm a, you know, investigative news reporter, but it is a really weird position to be in a hostel on the other side of the world with no income and unemployed when you are 29 years old and you never thought something like this would happen. So I will definitely be podcasting through it and let me let me know what you guys want to hear because I can do these updates, but you know if you want to hear specifically what I packed or what I would recommend packing or what I'm cooking or how is it like making friends and how do you travel with people and how do you decide where to travel I'm happy to do podcasts on that and actually when I get to Western Australia I will be podcasting with some backpackers there 
because I definitely want you guys to hear how people do this. Like, how do people save? How do they know how to pack everything in just one backpack? How do they decide where to go? Like, why Australia? So I definitely want to get more of those stories because I know personally being an American, it was so hard for me to wrap my head around people taking all these long vacations and saving, you know, $15,000 and then just blowing it on vacation and not blowing it, using it because that's what I would use it on. And I want you guys to hear those stories. So let me know. DM me at nonexpertopinionpod. That is at nonexpertopinionpod. You can visit www.inmynonexpertopinion.com or write into the email hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. Again, everything is pretty much at inmynonexpertopinion. And the podcast Instagram is nonexpertopinionpod. So share this on Instagram stories, read it, review it, DM me, tell me what you want to hear more of, and definitely let me know what creative projects you're working on, because I would love to see if I could help, because right now I'm unemployed and I don't have anything to do. I would love to help you guys, love to hear what your feedback is, and with that, I will see you all next week. Bye.